I'm Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Week in Review. With just five days to go before the election, the candidates are busy making their final case to the American voters. For Biden, it amounts to returning the country to a place of competent stewardship, driven by deep empathy and compassion for all Americans, regardless of their zip code. He promises to be a steady hand who will scrub the country clean of Trumpism, helping to usher in the next generation of leadership. Or to paraphrase former President Obama, with Joe and Kamala, you won't have to think about crazy shit every day. And with Joe and Kamala at the helm, you're not going to have to think about the crazy things they said every day. And with Donald Trump, what is there really left to say at this point? You're watching the final desperate moments of a truly desperate and deranged human being, self-destruct before our very eyes. In his final push before election day, he's crisscrossing the map, hoping to stop Biden from flipping one of the many battleground states he once thought to be solidly red. His rallies, though, have become rife with lies and disinformation as he tries to protect his 2016 electoral gains. We're not talking about a few Trumpian exaggerations either, but flat-out fucking bullshit. Terrible thing that happened. Joe Biden has made a corrupt bargain in exchange for his party's nomination. He has handed control of his party over to the rage-filled socialists, Marxists, and left-wing extremists. And could we put another name in there? Starts with a C. Communists, yes. The New York Times analyzed the recent stump speech he gave in Wisconsin and found 131 false or inaccurate statements in just 90 minutes. His latest false line of attack centers on doctors who he claims overcount COVID deaths because they're paid more for such deaths. You know, some countries, they report differently. If somebody's sick with a heart problem and they die of COVID, they say they died of a heart problem. If somebody's terminally ill with cancer and they have COVID, we report them and you know doctors get more money and hospitals get more money think of this incentive so some countries do it differently it's obviously bullshit the kind of statement your moron uncle spouts at dinner as fact because he learned it from his facebook group the point though is less that bullshit statistic but the overall message which trump continues to push on a group of people already weary of more lockdowns and are hurting financially after eight months of the pandemic that's all I hear about now. That's all I hear. Turn on television. Right? COVID, 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 COVID. A plane goes down. 500 people dead. They don't talk about it. COVID, 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 COVID. By the way, on November 4th, you won't hear about it anymore. It's true. COVID, COVID. Please don't go and vote COVID. Then there is his self-aggrandized history of his own COVID recovery rewritten as a heroic tale meant to assuage those afraid of the virus. In his version of his recovery, he had it, dealt with it, and it was no big deal. They're tired of such negative, hey, by the way, I had it, here I am. I mean, you know, here I am. And now they say I'm immune. He even dragged Barron into all of this with a strange soliloquy on his son's recovery. Baron Trump. Did you ever hear Baron Trump? He's a rather tall young man. He's tall and he's a good kid and he's strong, but he had it. They said, sir, madam, I'm sorry to inform you. Your son has tested positive. Baron. 
I said, oh, no. Fifteen seconds later, sir, your son no longer has it. The idea being that everybody should just get on with their lives already, because it's all the big hoax designed to prevent Trump from being reelected. The facts obviously support none of this. The reality is that there were more COVID deaths this year than war dead in World War I, Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, and Iraq combined. The highest U.S. daily counts since the pandemic began are happening right now. Texas hospitals are at capacity. Utah hospitals are rationing care. And a third outbreak has occurred in the White House with Vice President Pence's chief of staff. The man who is heading our COVID response cannot take the basic precautions to keep his own people safe, much less the country. This morning, concerns of another coronavirus outbreak at the White House after five of Vice President Mike Pence's associates, including his chief of staff, test positive for COVID-19. To underscore his disregard for the virus, Trump had a repeat of his Rose Garden super spreader event celebrating Judge Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation dragging her up to the balcony in what was a shocking political display. Proudly swear in the newest member of the United States Supreme Court, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. It was his way of saying he still holds all the good cards. This should be truly frightening for anyone watching. The backroom attempts to steal this election have already begun. And with the confirmation of Justice Barrett, Trump is showing how he's going to win in the courts. The plan is quite obvious. Now that he has his judicial majority, Trump is going to try and Bush v. Gore the fuck out of this election in battleground states, just like Wisconsin, Florida, and Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court's conservative majority is refusing to extend Wisconsin's deadline to receive mail-in ballots. In a 5-3 ruling, the high court sided with the state's Republicans. All absentee ballots in Wisconsin must be received by the time polls close at 8 p.m. local time on November 3rd. His strategy here continues to be his relentless attack on the safety of mail-in ballots, claiming without any evidence that they are rife with fraud. He used this to tease the idea that the only way Biden can win in Pennsylvania is through voter fraud because his rallies are so much smaller than Donald Trump's. I want everyone to listen to this bullshit for a moment. Send in ballots. Thousands and millions of ballots are being sent. Send them in. This is a horrible thing. And to be honest with you, it's the only way we can lose because I see the crowds. Joe has 14, 15 people show up for a rally. This is a rally for some friends of mine to look at the number of people. This, this isn't a rally, actually. Trump is using this moment to once again gaslight the American people and tease his refusal to accept the peaceful transition of power. And then they talk about, if you lose, will this be a friendly transition? And I said, let me ask you a question. When I won, did they give me a friendly transition? They spied on my campaign. They did all this stuff. That was not a friendly transition, was it? Huh? These rallies are the very soul of Trump's campaign and have become a dangerous vector for the spreading of lies and misinformation. To watch one in its entirety is simultaneously fascinating and infuriating. You wonder, how do these people believe the bullshit that he's shoveling? But then you realize they, along with Trump, believe in a completely different reality. To be a Trump supporter in 2020, with all that is known about his beliefs, is to exist in a right-wing bubble supported by an entire ecosystem of news and opinion that reinforces their beliefs 24-7.
24 hours a day, seven days a week. Think about how the world would be if you tried to quarantine everybody because of the generic type flu. Now, I'm not saying this is the generic type flu, but maybe we'd be just better off if we gave it to everybody and then in a month it would be over because the mortality rate of this probably isn't going to be any different if we did it that way. There is simply no getting around this fact. It's why there are so very few undecided voters. I mean, really, who at this point doesn't know what they're getting with Donald Trump? So everything exists to reinforce his position. And from this standpoint, he does it startlingly well. When he talks about doctors getting paid to overcount COVID deaths, he's not just plucking this out of the sky. Some attacks work better than others and some fall just flat. The point is that the information is placed into motion. It is then amplified through sheer repetition, social media and cable news. Pretty soon it becomes gospel in the minds of his supporters. I don't wear a mask for the same reason I don't un wear underwear. Things gotta breathe. <laughs> Thank you for your comments, ma'am. And they want to throw God's wonderful breathing system out the door. Where do you derive the authority to regulate human breathing? What you say is the political dogma that they're trying to shove down our throats on every commercial and every store, and it's disgusting. Every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested. And you, doctor, are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. Everything I've just described is Donald Trump trying to create as much noise and chaos leading up to the election as possible. From there, He's hoping that the vote count is close enough in a few of these states for him to either claim voter fraud and mobilize his MAGA army or take everybody to court. Mixed in with all of Trump's overt and covert actions to disrupt the election, though, are the very real and pervasive attempts by both Iran and Russia to subvert the election through voter intimidation and more aggressive cyber terrorism. These hacks have begun to proliferate in the days leading up to the election. We would like to alert the public that we have identified that two foreign actors, Iran and Russia, have taken specific actions to influence public opinion relating to our elections. The goal of our foreign enemies is also to create chaos and further divide us while putting their own thumb on the scale for Donald Trump. In recent days, Trump has tried to assert that Russia wants him to lose because of how hard he's been on Putin but intelligence information and his own behavior suggest otherwise. Regardless, we are entering the final days of an election which is unprecedented in its potential for chaos and violence. As such, I decided to reach out to Malcolm Nance, the Amazon best-selling author of Plot to Betray America, which details how Trump has embraced our enemies and made us vulnerable to attacks both foreign and domestic. Nance is a former Arabic-speaking naval intelligence, counterterrorism, and intelligence officer specializing in the Middle East, a combat veteran, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape expert, historian, and author. He spent 35 years participating in field and combat intelligence activity, including both covert and clandestine anti- and counterterrorism support to national intelligence agencies. A frequent guest on both NBC and MSNBC, he has been labeled one of the unsung national security geniuses of our time. In short, Nance knows what the hell he's talking about. And if he's frightened for what's to come on election day, 
then you should be scared as well. Let's listen now to that conversation. So Malcolm, if I can, I'd like to just jump straight in and begin by asking you, because I really want to start today with a story from Politico that ran Monday, which reports more than 50 former senior intelligence officials have signed onto a letter outlining their belief that the recent disclosure of emails allegedly belonging to Joe Biden's son has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. As someone who has written about this subject extensively, tell me precisely how a Russian information campaign works. Okay, that's a really good question. And, you know, I'm, I'm only in this game by dint to the fact that in 2016, I had saw how the Russian operation was unfolding. And, uh, you know, and it didn't happen with me writing about the Russians. In fact, the year before, I had written a book called Hacking ISIS. And it was how ISIS was actually carrying out their information operations, their hacking, their social media. But while we were investigating that book, we found the two hackings, two major hackings that were attributed to ISIS, the one of the Warsaw Stock Exchange and the other of the French TV channel, TV Sunk, were in fact carried out by the same cyber warfare group that hacked the DNC, uh, who were using the ATP-28 and ATP-29 or Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear malware systems. And so, of course, as soon as I saw that, I said, hey, you know, why are the Russians in the DNC for one reason and one reason only? Watergate. Watergate on an extremely fast scale, only this time with no fingerprints, you know, no tape over the door. They didn't have to break into any safes. They had everything that they needed to know. So it took me a couple of months to really get that in the mainstream. And when I went on MSNBC, uh, two days before Trump came out and said, Russia, if you're listening, and I said, the United States is under attack. For People looked at me like I had three heads on. So I'm always asked, how did you know? Well, principally because I was raised as a, you know, when I was a spy baby, as we call ourselves, um, I was raised in the Cold War. And everything we did was oriented to defeating the KGB, detecting the KGB, Russian intelligence, and knowing what their information operations were. These people, the Soviet Union, of which their leader now of the Russian Federation was an ex-KGB officer, Vladimir Putin, mid-level uh, KGB officer at the time, a devout communist. Uh, you know, he wanted to join the KGB back when he was 13. These activities of the Soviet Union have a signature. They have, an, a, you, they have a sort of a glow around them so that you can see the sequence of events in which they would, you know, try to influence the West. In the old days, Mike, the, the problem is information went at the speed of molasses, right? People had to actually put typeset into, you know, printers to get them to print the words. So the Russians were always trying to get information into the Western mainstream, disinformation into the Western mainstream by going through a third party. Uh, you know, I wrote in one of my books, Pot to Destroy Democracy, uh, my second book, that uh, they would go to India and they would literally hire three or four hundred Indian writers and try to get the same propaganda to filter up into the Associated Press news feed. It was laughable. It just wouldn't work. Right. And of course, anything that came out of the Soviet Union was considered a lie. It was considered propaganda. We had 70 years of them 
lying. What changed this time was the fact that the Soviet Union collapsed, but more importantly, that computing and news had, could now move at the speed of a nanosecond, of a keystroke, and that an individual could understand that if they move fast enough and put their, their information out broad enough, they could beat the New York Times to any subject. They could reach a billion people if they came up with a crazy story. And so th how the Russians figured it out this time uh, was they used something that we don't use as much as we should, which is academia. Every aspect of Soviet academia under the Soviet Union was funneled into technology and propaganda for the government, right? To make the government more advantageous. The KGB used information that they gleaned from academia, studying the United States, studying racial biases in the country, knowing what kind of people had a psych certain psychological profile, for example, that were susceptible to their operations. They knew America. All of those files didn't disappear when the Soviet Union collapsed. In fact, they got opened up. And now looking at the United States, the Russian Federation, led by a KGB officer, would look at the United States and use that intelligence to figure out where our greatest vulnerabilities were. And our greatest vulnerability sits in the Oval Office, which is the saddest thing. But being a spy baby yourself, explain to me then how the United States, with the greatest law enforcement agencies, the greatest intelligence agencies in the world, how is it then that they didn't figure out from day number one that I was never in Prague, that I wasn't a Russian compromat, that the Steele dossier is bullshit from the first page uh, regarding me to the last, and all 11 allegations, completely bullshit. Right. Well, you know, you have to understand, let's separate two things here, and I'm sure you're already familiar with one of them. Law enforcement is not intelligence. Those are two entirely different worlds. Some things feed into it, Right. If the intelligence community might see a crime, they could tip off the FBI. But it generally doesn't work that way unless it's something massive. Right. Like you're you've been hauling over uh, F-14 parts to Iran. Then as we see those parts arrive in Iran and start being put into maintenance, then we'll push back to the FBI and they'll arrest you. Uh, this is something that, like I said, are two entirely different worlds. The FBI as an investigative body has to go and sort through an enormous amount of junk that might make it into the cyber sphere, but may not make it into the legal sphere. For example, let's take a look at the Steele dossier, right? The Steele dossier was essentially, and I've met Michael Steele, uh, uh, Christopher Steele, and we've sat down and we talked about it, and he's, he explained it. It is what we call in the intelligence community, rumor, rumor intelligence. None of it is validated. You might be sitting in a bar, a conversation starts up about Donald Trump, and three drunk guys start talking smack, right? But when that smack goes from that piece, that report that you wrote, it goes to an analysis division who looks it over and cross-references it with real information, and they go, that's BS. That doesn't mean nobody can validate that. We have 0% confidence in that. It didn't go that route. It went to David Korn, it went to John McCain, and it entered into the cybersphere, the internet. And we all know what the internet is, right? The internet is an amplification system for bullshit. So once it got to the internet, 
people were conducting, I mean, people who were going after me were conducting all of these, you know, OSINT or open source intelligence analysis saying, really honing in on the Prague mission. I knew almost instantly the first time you denied it, that it was too vehement a denial to be to be false. Not only did I vehemently deny it. Yeah. The FBI went to USC, sat down with the baseball coach where my son was hoping to play for the school. Right. Yeah. And they asked him and the whole team and the and the whole team of, of baseball coaches. Yeah. Was this man here the um, on so-and-so? And they were like, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. know exactly who he is, and he was here with us with his son. They then turned around and said, well, maybe we got the day wrong. Yeah. What about the day after? Well, the day after, I was with Harvey Levin at TMZ set. So why then did they keep the investigation open? You know what? That component, as I said, that's not intelligence. That's gumshoeing, right? That's cops flat-footing it out there and getting the data so that when they go into court, they can say, well, we went to Prague. We, we couldn't find an aircraft that flew him. It wasn't under another passport. We have video of every person who entered the Czech Republic. And we got this baseball coach and 30 kids who says that this guy was here. And the next day he's in TMZ. No one can do that. The question is, once they've cleared you on that subject, that doesn't mean that they don't have other avenues of investigation. Uh, you know, I had a, a discussion with a, a Secret Service, uh, not Secret Service, FBI officer um, who's very well known uh, and he said one day he was talking about the Hillary Clinton investigation. And the first thing I said, actually, this was at a, a little leadership forum we were talking at. I said, so let me get this straight. The FBI is the worst investigative body in the history of America. And he's like, no, no, no. We're the greatest investigative organization in the world. And I said, so supposedly Hillary Clinton has destroyed 33,000 emails and has been you know, evil personified for the last 30 years. But you can't get her on a jaywalking ticket. And he was like, well, you know, she's slippery. I go, no, you suck. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I bring myself up because I've been called a Russian compromise, where, in fact, I truly believe that Rudy Giuliani must be a Russian asset. And after seeing him uh, try and have sex yesterday uh, on that television with uh, Borat's 15-year-old daughter, it's obvious that they have some kind of compromise on this guy either Either that or that he's just the most prize useful idiot on the planet. I'm glad you brought this point up because I'm going to go back to you for a second because, you know, I've written three books about the Russian, uh, about the, the Trump-Russia conspiracy. You don't figure in any of them. I think you might find that quite interesting. You figure as a lawyer, but you, none of the data intersects with you that makes you an asset or a useful idiot. You're a lawyer playing a role within this bubble. Yeah, you're there. Rudy Giuliani, on the other hand, <laughs> that's a different animal. I mean, I don't know what's up with this guy. But a guy like you, you know, you're relatively intelligent. You can tell when people are manipulating you, whether it's, you know, somebody who wants to buy your favor or somebody who wants to influence you. Uh, with Giuliani, he went in with a mindset that he was the consigliere of Donald Trump in a wartime mafia war of information against Joe Biden. So the minute he made, put out his feelers two years ago that he wanted dirt on Biden, this is where spycraft comes in. We are always monitoring and seeing through informants 
just who's interested in what. And sometimes if it's in our interest to screw you over, we'll provide that what. And with Giuliani being so desperate for dirt on Biden, look, Vladimir Putin, I've been to his office when he was a baby spy in Dresden. This guy loves to manipulate people. He flipped people left and right. So for Donald Trump, you know, we'll get into whatever love Putin has for Trump. But when Giuliani comes up on the radar as Trump's consigliere, I would dedicate an entire human intelligence division to make up whatever that man wants, because it's another avenue of control that you would have on Donald Trump. Also, it's another avenue of blackmail that you would have on every person inside this story. You control the story. They create bubbles of fake information around these people. And like Glenda the, you know, Glenda the Good Witch, you go floating around on this bubble and you think you're, you're doing something awesome when in fact another agency owns you heart, mind, and soul. When Borat walked into the room with Sasha Baron Cohen, he is brilliant at this. He is brilliant at making people say the truth by, by crafting an, a, a bubble of this character around you and your inner truth comes out, just like spies, just like you know intelligence officers. In this particular instance, he got Giuliani with, you know, my daughter's my daughter's adopted. From, she's from Canada and she looks very young. She's 28 and she looks like she's 15. Right. This girl who is the journalist really looked like a 15 year old with makeup. In fact, she sort of looked like Ivanka uh, when Ivanka was very young and put her into this situation, put Giuliani in this situation where a, a normal person like you or me would be going, you know, we have this saying in the, in the spy world. Right. If you're the hottest man in a room to hot chicks in the room, you're being played because no one's that good looking. <laughs> well, I don't know. Speak for yourself. But in my specific, <laughs> in, in my specific case, it, nothing really made any, any sense as far as the um, law enforcement, as far as the FBI doing what they did. But I want you to talk to me for a moment about the GRU and their cyber hacking unit that was just indicted in federal court. Who are they? And what are they accused of doing? And how frightened are you of cyber terrorism? Because I'm going to just say this. I believe that the cyber terrorism has two aspects to it. One is there, of course, as you stated, acquisition of the information. And the second part is the dissemination of the information. Right. And the fact that today we run on a 24-7 news cycle and very few journalists actually do fact-checking, hence, of course, the Steele dossier, you get people like McClatchy claiming that I came in through Germany. I've never been to Germany. You know, I've never been to Russia. And the five times I was asked, full expenses paid, first class, top of the line, you know how they do it, top of the line, would have been a $50,000 weekend at somebody's expense to, you know, to bring me over there. I refused. I've never been to Russia. So yeah. When you have McClatchy putting out stories about me going to Prague through Germany, that I, I went on some private plane or a private yacht, or I kayaked from the Hudson River all the way to Prague, or then you get, the, um, what was her name, uh, Megan Toohey from the New York Times, or David Korn, stating that I told him that I had been to Prague. That's a fucking lie. And what happens is everybody jumped on it because it became 
a massive news story because they really wanted to tie Trump to this compromise. So tell me, please, just how frightened are you of this cyber terrorism? Because me personally, I'm petrified. Well, you should be petrified. And what you're looking at is the, the insidious effects of cyber war and in cyber warfare and information warfare. Here, the Russian military intelligence is the GRU. They're the equivalent of an agency most people haven't heard of, but exists in the United States, the Defense Intelligence Agency. The Defense Intelligence Agency is the sister agency of the military to the CIA, which is a civilian agency, and the National Security Agency, which is also a Department of Defense agency. But DIA does all the military intelligence used in fighting wars, right? Like 20 tanks are over there. But they also run human intelligence officers along with the CIA. Russia's military intelligence agency, the GRU, was the one agency that did not transform when the Soviet Union collapsed. What they did was what the, K the KGB did. They changed their letters, right? The GRU didn't change their letters. That kind of intelligence is always needed and is always in play. What they did, though, was in the late 1990s, in the early 2000s, the chief of staff of the armed forces of Russia uh, was briefed that information warfare, as it was done on the Soviet Union, was too slow. But that technology was moving so fast now that a military intelligence agency or an agency like the KGB, the GRU, could actually do what we call shaping the battlefield of a foreign power before they ever got into combat. And one of the methodologies was crafting a new reality around the population whose country you're about to get into war with. In the old days, we used to call this propaganda warfare, right? You drop leaflets from a, an airplane and people would read it and say, we are not bombing you because we hate you. We're bombing you because we hate your leadership. Overthrow your leadership. The Russians figured out you could go bigger than that. You could, using cyber techniques, hacking, spreading disinformation, creating entire tens of thousands of fake entities, you could create an information bubble around the United States, right, to the point where they would become, whoever bought into your information would become your allies. That's how insidious this is. 40% of the United States right now will not believe a word of fact that does not come from the mouth of Donald Trump and right-wing media. And that is the information that the Russians have been amplifying for now five years. They put an information bubble first around Donald Trump. They did that at Miss Universe. I mean, he walked into that meeting at the Nobu restaurant and met with those 12, rich guys, you know, 12 richest guys in Russia. He walked out of there hailing Vladimir Putin and the new Trump Tower. Right. You might recall that. Do you believe that Russia has compromise on President Trump? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just did this last book, The Plot to Betray America. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm an intelligence guy. So I like to look at things that would exist. Here's a good example. You supposedly going to Prague. I don't care which route you went unless you kayaked, which would be a, quite a challenge because you'd have to go up the Rhine. Um, there's going to be 500 different pieces of data on how you got there, in and out, right? You can't just go to Prague. There's a freaking camera in front of the McDonald's downtown near the old clock. 
You can't just walk around in Prague and not exist. This isn't Jason Bourne movies. You are an entity. Your entity will always be detected. Donald Trump was under surveillance as early as 1977. And I took a lot of flack on Sean Hannity's show one day for saying this. And they were like, where's this guy at MSNBC come off of? Well, I came off of the fact that there's a news agency of TV channel in Prague that has all of the records. There was surveillance, not of him. It started with his first wife in 1977. She was in a country, the Czech Republic, now the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, which was a communist nation behind the Iron Curtain. They knew everything about every phone call, every letter, and the reporting entity in the Czech Republic was her father was the guy who was reporting in to Czech intelligence. Otherwise, bad things could happen to you. So from 1977 to 1987, they had been monitoring her phone calls. They had been monitoring her mail. And they knew that in 87, Donald wanted to run for president on the independent party platform before U.S. news media did. So when he started expressing interest in going to the Soviet Union in 1988, there was an entire record about Donald Trump because the Soviets collect people and they collect interesting people and they kept your records. So by that point, whatever Donald had been up to, let's say when he went to the Soviet Union, he got drunk, he touched somebody's butt. Well, the agency that brought him to the Soviet Union in tourists was a subordinate agency to the KGB. Every person there was a KGB officer. Any dirty joke you told was logged. When Vladimir Putin became president in 2001 and they were all laundering all their Russian dirty money into real estate, he had access to that record. I don't think he looked at it until 2010 because that's when the first real indications of the Soviet, uh, not Soviet, but of Russian intelligence trying to influence evangelicals and the NRA and your team. Your team was really 2014. Lots of indicators in 2014 that the Russians knew a lot about Donald Trump. But they would have been adding all of the real estate deals, everything to a giant folder. So in 2014, when Miss Universe happens and spymaster Vladimir Putin says, hey, bring me that guy's dossier. What do we have on him? They're going to have a dossier that goes back to 1977. Everything. Now, real personal spycraft happens, real manipulation. Vladimir Putin tried to join the KGB when he was 13. Okay. They use every aspect of power and knowledge that goes right to Vladimir Putin's desk. They have everything from his waist size to how long he likes the hem on his pants. But speaking of compromised, as someone who's worked at the highest level of security, in what ways is Giuliani Partners a corrupt and compromised entity, having latched onto the Trump gravy train for contacts, but left to do his bidding politically? Well, they're, they're definitely doing his bidding politically, but they have a bigger problem. Their problem is, is that they are starting to appear to be an actual agent of a foreign power. Now, let me use these phrases carefully before, you know, they, they sue us both, right? There are certain... And the phrase agent of a foreign power means that you are someone who is working for a foreign government or a foreign business or working outside of the United States. That is not the spy term. First, in spy world, you start off as a useful idiot. Giuliani has always been a useful idiot for, for, for Donald Trump 
and for the Russians, because whatever Donald says, Giuliani agrees with Rudy Giuliani has always been a, a useful idiot for Donald Trump. That's the lowest level of, of being manipulated. The next step is what we call an unwitting asset. An unwitting asset is when you don't know you're being played by a foreign agency or power or individuals, but you do things which benefit for them because you think you're doing something for your boss, let's say. You are an unwitting asset in many things, okay? Where your winning asset is when you know you're doing something, you know you are going to benefit from it from a foreign power or a foreign entity, and you don't care or... It's you think it's going to benefit yourself. Rudy Giuliani right now and Donald Trump are both winning assets. Where Giuliani now stands into danger is that his primary source, Durkach, has been called out publicly by U.S. intelligence as an agent of a foreign intelligence agency. Right? So when you deal with him after you've been called out and warned, you have moved from, from winning asset to where we're going to have to investigate whether you guys have exchanged money or ideas or, or yachts or something to determine, are you an actual agent? An agent is someone who knows he works for foreign power, gets paid by a foreign power, has usually a signed contract. Uh, I don't know if Giuliani's there. But I do know that he is very, very, very aware that he is being fed information. He has lied to cover up that information. And, you know, in 12 days, he may find out if, if on day number 13 whether next year is going to result in a prison for him or not. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about Donald Trump coming to his rescue. But here in the city, right, you know, um, we have different terms for Rudy Giuliani. He went from an idiot to an asshole. But, you know, yesterday... <laughs> Yesterday, you retweeted a clip uh, from your appearance on Angry Americans talking about how if Trump loses, that he's going to look to take us all down, saying that he's hurt and like an injured animal, he might just lash out. Talk to me about the ways in which he may try and hold on to power or create chaos in the aftermath of the election. You know, I'm going to give a little credit to my, my peer, Clint Watts, at MSNBC, because he is the person who came up with the phrase, who said... Um, November 4th to January 21st, 2021, will be the most dangerous period in American history. Because let's we have two scenarios, win or lose, right? If Donald Trump wins, you know, that, that, that list of intelligence officers, or like me, I was on a national security list where we, we protested Donald Trump's behavior towards the armed forces. Those will be arrest lists. I think Donald Trump has always thought of himself as a, as a mafiosa leader. And now it's just, you know, he's going to go after the five families when this is all done. Look, I say that in my book, Disloyal, all the time. I mean, he ran the Trump organization like a mob boss, and he's trying to run the United States like a, like a, um, a you know, his own private family, right? With, you know, Jared, Jared is going to be the, uh, <laughs> Jared's the consigliere, you know, with Rudy Giuliani as the wartime consigliere. I mean, the whole thing is just a goddamn joke. But I do want to throw in an additional question that you got me thinking. Which of these militia groups frightens you the most? And is there an ISIS of domestic extremism that is yet to emerge? It's funny you should mention that. I happen to be writing a book on this subject. I'm 50% done. Um, well, 
the ISIS of the United States uh, was a very small group that's starting to transform out of what it was. It was called Adam Waffen. And it was a very, very, very radical group of white supremacists down in and not neo-Nazis operating out of Florida. Uh, these guys had deep ties back to European uh, right-wing extremist groups. They had all these very young, hot-burning guys who just wanted to set the world on fire, right? They wanted to go out and do assassinations. They would do, you could actually go on YouTube and watch how these guys would do these tactical shooting. In fact, the shooter at the uh, high school in Southern Florida, where they massacred, I think, 11 or 12 children, that guy had been watching and had links to the Adam Waffen group. I don't think they're ISIS, though. What's happening with the Republican Party is they are all sort of transforming into, and I mean all Republicans, are transforming into this, this political base that would have no problem if all of these militias, the Michigan militias, the Proud Boys, uh, you know, the Boogaloo Boys, uh, in Identity Europa, if all of them became independent paramilitary enforcers of the Trump administration. If he wins, that's what those guys will think they are. They will think they're the brown shirts. Look, don't forget something also, that each and every one of them proudly carries the MAGA symbol as their flag. And that's where I think he's the most dangerous and that they are the most dangerous to the safety of this country during that time period from November 4th to the uh, 21st. Mike, if you see these MAGA convoys that they go out and they drive around with the flags, we call those vanilla ISIS convoys because that's what ISIS would do when they would come into these towns. They would have these truck convoys with all the flags. The only thing that's missing is the guns. And if he wins, I suspect you're going to start seeing a lot of guns on the 4th in these convoys. If he loses... Well, why do you, wait, wait. Why are you saying that? Because I see each and every one of them armed to the teeth with AR-15s. They have the flap jackets going. They have helmets going. Because recently, right. we had Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling on the show. And he was describing for me how Trump's calling, for example, of fa uh, fallen soldiers, losers and suckers. Um, and that was a watershed moment for those in the military who were turning on Donald Trump. As someone who maintains a high-level contact with many high-ranking military figures as well uh, as regular warriors. What's the general consensus on Trump being unfit for command as their leader, and especially in allowing these sort of paramilitary groups to exist on our streets and to do the things that they're doing? Well, I can tell you right now, at the highest levels in the military, and I talk to a lot of generals and admirals even though, and senior enlisted, which is where I was, the guys who actually are the enforcers on the street, they think Trump is a moron, all right? He has a disapproval rating that's nearing 50% in the armed forces. His approval is in the low 30s. And that's because there are always privates and corporals who don't know anything, right? They all listen to what they hear uh, on television. The real thinkers understand that commander in chief with these position with his power, who is as stupid as he is, this is like the guy that we're always looking out for who is endangering the lives of the others. We're always on the lookout for that. Guys like me, I was senior enlisted. My job was to recalibrate stupid. And I was waiting for the guy to screw up or young man or young woman to screw up and then learn the lesson. Donald Trump doesn't learn lessons. He, he dictates by fiat. And anyone who doesn't follow that is an idiot to him. And therefore, you're disposable. 
that causes lives to be lost in the military. So we don't like anyone who is going to operate in that way. And that's where Trump is. Well, I want to think forward for a moment to a lame duck Trump administration, presuming, of course, the Biden victory. What do those last two and a half months in office look like for Trump? And beyond the chaos that we think he's going to create post-election, because I'm imagining a flurry of executive actions, bargaining, and possibly an attempt by Trump to pardon himself for crimes he may have committed while in office. Talk to me for a moment about what you picture in this scenario. My problem is, that's part two of my, of, of my assessment, is that let's say he loses. I suspect that on November 4th, those ISIS, vanilla ISIS convoys that we had seen running around on Saturday mornings turning out the vote will turn into those armed convoys where they think that they're going to liberate red parts of the United States from the blue parts of the United States. That's my fear. I can't say that it's going to happen, but I, I, I watch a lot of their right-wing extremist forums where I read what some of these guys do. Many of them want civil war. The other half of them are so insane with this QAnon conspiracy theory that all liberals are a, you know, Satanistic, pedophile, sex trafficking, child cannibalization uh, body that requires the great storm to nullify them. When I mean that, they mean mass murder of anyone that identifies themselves as progressive. Some of these people might consider this, you know, the time to have it happen. Timothy McVeigh, when he blew up the Murrah building in Oklahoma City, he did it believing that the next day every white officer and police and every white soldier in America would stand up, take their guns and kill every black. That's why he did it. There are deranged people out there who think that November 4th might be go time. I believe Trump is going to lose. And I even went so far. I found this company called Gesser and I posted a $10,000 bet. And, you know, it's like two to one. So I'm going to I'm going to win fifteen thousand dollars, <laughs> which I'm going to donate, you know, to the ACLU the second I get that check. But I am so certain because I truly believe that everything that you're saying now, the fear from the military down to the down to the average Joe or Jane, I think that everybody really sees just how absolutely insane that our commander of chaos is creating in this country. And, you know, look, I obviously, I have zero faith. And I'm, I'm a guy that sat across this jerk-off's desk for well more than a decade, right? Listening to him spew bullshit time and time again, right? With no knowledge of what he's talking about. But he says it in a way that, well, he is the guy behind the desk, so you kind of have to listen. But I have zero faith in literally anything that Trump says from a foreign policy standpoint. And I'll have less than zero even after the election. Because I see Mike Pompeo as just another sycophantic asshole and certainly not a credible statesman. How do you even govern, much less conduct foreign policy in an atmosphere like this? And does it leave us as a country vulnerable from a national security standpoint? Right. We're already in a horribly vulnerable place. I, I, you know, I say that as an intelligence professional. We are in, we are right now, I think after the fourth, we'll determine how much in danger we are. If Trump wins, we're going, 
everything that has existed in the foreign policy arena, which maintained global security since the day we landed on Normandy, will end. He will side with Russia openly. He views himself as what I call a constitutional autocrat, which is where the constitutional trappings will exist, but he's really a dictator. He wants to be like Vladimir Putin. That's what Putin is. And he will start dismembering the, the free press, the courts, everything that you held dear will end on that night. How about jailing anybody that he doesn't see fit? That was another thing he said. Then another thing he said was, well, why are we talking about 2020? What about Trump in 2024 as he started to get the crowd chanting Trump 2024? The man doesn't believe in the Constitution any more than he believes in a healthy diet. And at the end of the day, he wants to be, and I've said this a million times, he wants to be a monarch. He wants to be an autocrat. He wants to create a dynasty for his family for eternity and more than even for his own family. He wants to milk this country of every dollar that he possibly can, because it bothers him that he's not the richest man in the world. Yep. And he's not. He's rich. And after, of course, the IRS and everybody else beats the shit out of him, who knows what he'll have left from daddy's money. But at the end of the day, that's what he wants. He wants to be the king of America. Right. And he wants to be able to control its military. But do you recall him being in North Korea watching Kim Jong-un's parade and then decided he wanted to do the same thing in America. Yeah. This to me is just a, it's, it's just another example of this weak mind that he has and how it, everything has to be a play to his massive ego. Yeah. And you know what? Famous KGB officer named Yuri Bezmenov said over 30 years ago, the kind of person that we would like to turn into a spy or an asset for the Soviet Union are rich, egotistical narcissists. Well, congratulations. They got what they wanted. Yeah. He said, <laughs> we never go after leftists. We never go after progressives or liberals because they have too much credibility. We want someone that will sell the United States. And that never went away. You've literally got a KGB officer in Russia going, this guy will do my bidding because he wants to be in a world that, that Trump is not. There's a global oligarchy. There's money out there that is higher than loyalty to flags. That's higher than, you know, the, like the guy who has the, you know, the boat that, that has an elevator for yachts, <laughs> right? He has a ship right. that actually has a yellow elevator for four yachts in there that none of which we can afford the yachts. Trump wants to be in that, that world of global money of the 10, 20, 50 billion dollar billionaires. He can't. The presidency doesn't even afford him access to that world, right? Don't kid yourself because he's up all night thinking about it. Which brings me to, you know, obviously that creates a real problem for the United States of America and our safety. In what ways do you think that we're less safe today than we were four years ago. That's just terrifying. Look, this is the guy who is literally trying to give away Afghanistan before Christmas. 20 years of U.S. efforts will all disappear the minute that our last soldier comes out of there. They'll massacre the Afghan army and it will go back to being what it was, the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan 
the people who hid al-Qaeda. There's an ISIS insurgency in Afghanistan, all right, that could take over the country as well. He's gave away Syria and all of our allies in Kurdistan. He literally saved ISIS by doing that. He gave Russia the entire control over the Middle East. He's giving Israel sovereignty over the West Bank, which will lead to a new era of terrorism like you won't believe. You know, um, one of the things they have this new treaty now between the United Arab Emirates. They're trying to say Saudi Arabia has tacitly approved that. You know, I've lived in the Middle East 30 years on and off, and I've worked there, lived as a Muslim, uh, you know, had a great time. Those sheikhs could wake up dead one morning and find that the Saudi Arabia is the Islamic Republic of Saudi Arabia. They are underestimating their people's, you know, non-buy-in of this supposed deal, okay? Trump thinks that money is controlling how people think on the other side of the world. Because that's all that Donald Trump is able to relate to. It's who you are and how much money that you have. Not about what that money can do and how it can hurt. Look, money can help. Don't get me wrong. You have people like the Bill Gates Foundation, right? There's money that can help. Right. But there's also money that can hurt. And Donald Trump aspires to be part of that crew where money can hurt. And just going back for a second to what we were talking about with these um, militia groups here in the, in the United States, because in the wake of the Governor Whitmer plot to kidnap and possibly assassinate her, there's been much discussion about the spread of these groups under Donald Trump right. based, upon, of course, on his rhetoric and the real danger that they pose to all of us. What have you heard from a national security sources to the scale of the problem that we're now facing with these groups? I mean, the scale of the problem is we are in McVeigh territory, right? We should have a chart. <laughs> and we are at the point where you won't have one Timothy McVeigh. You'll have a thousand Timothy McVeighs. All of these active shootings that we saw, the massacre in El Paso last year at the Walmart, uh, the shooting of this Jewish synagogue in Poway, the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh. These groups, by the way, vehemently anti-Semitic. I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. I almost married an Israeli. Um, Mazel tov. <laughs> first decrypt of a, of a code I ever did was Hebrew to Yiddish. So interesting. You would make my parents proud. None of, none of my parents' children, none of us speak Yiddish, but you would make my parents proud. So my point is this, these people, they like what they think is Israel wiping out Muslims, but they really hate Jews, which is why they constantly choose synagogues as their target of choice. We've had more synagogue shootings and attacks than we've ever had attacks on mosques in the United States, if you can believe that. Uh, but these groups view themselves as a tribe. And what we're seeing here with Donald Trump is not white nationalism, this is white tribalism. And they view him as their tribal chieftain. And, and, and they think that whatever he says is always a wink and a nod for them to take the next step. Because Malcolm, it is. And this is what I tried to talk about both on this podcast as well as in Disloyal. Donald Trump speaks in code. Yes. He doesn't give the order. He just puts it out there so that those who are somewhat skewed in their, in their mind are reading it the way that Donald Trump knows that they're reading it. Now, you talk about these various different militia groups as being separate and distinct and what would ever happen. 
Would you do me a favor, please, and explain to the listeners what precisely is the boogaloo? Because I know it's a group or at least a loose arrangement of these cells with no central leadership. But then it's also a concept of complete breakdown of society brought down by a civil war. Who are these groups? Who are these people? And what do they actually really want in the end? Okay. The best way to describe the boogaloo is to say that they are a militia which sort of like ISIS has self-radicalized from being on the internet. And then they can come together. They congeal in very small groups. I don't even want to use the word cell yet because they're really groups of guys who all meet at the gun range. They're sort of live action role players. You know, they're into the tactical, sexy dress and having, you know, really sexually clad up AR-15s and weapons. But their concept of operations is, is that they believe that there's going to be a period of world without rule of law, right? That's where the government breaks down and they want to assist it. But fundamentally, why they want to assist it? Because they think, here we are in McVeigh territory again, that they are going to be the foot soldiers of a white tribal war. If you ever seen the TV show Vikings, right? Where you have the guys out in the long boats and they go to England and they start killing all the priests and stuff. That's who they think they are. And they wanted to identify themselves because since they all wear the same tactical t-shirts, right? Or tactical body armor and multicam, they identify themselves through wearing of Hawaiian shirts. They are almost exclusively 100% white. They are almost exclusively young, 100%. And they are almost 1000% Trump supporters who think that they are going to bring about the revolution in the United States, which elevates him to tribal king. Yeah, but sadly, Malcolm, the one thing that they have in common is not their T-shirt. It's actually the flag, the MAGA flag. The, oh, Trump, yeah. the Trump flag is what they is what they seem to all be carrying and parading around uh, the way that you described with the vehicles, the ISIS-style militia group. In a tweet about a Bloomberg story reporting um, how Putin and Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman spoke twice in one week, you asked if the two discussed asylum for Trump. And I know that this was a joke, But it also got me wondering about where he goes after the election, because I see one scenario where he retreats there and maintains his power base um, and Mar-a-Lago then becomes the MAGA winter White House. But then again, I also see the possibility that Trump is indicted and rather than face trial in prison, he loads up, you know, his Trump plane and he does a runner like um, like Amin. Talk to me about this. <laughs> yeah, the problem is Idi Amin could go to the safety of Saudi Arabia. Donald Trump is not going to go live in Riyadh, all right, or even Dubai. Uh, trust me, I lived in Abu Dhabi for 10 years. I lived in prison for you know almost 14 plus months. I can assure you, between Trump's diet, between his need for a large bed, and the fact that he probably looks like shit and green, I can assure you that he will go anywhere in the world to avoid prison, because most people would. Remember the old days when dictators would all run to the French Riviera with a billion dollars? Now they all want to stay in power, right? The Erdogans, the Sisi's, all these guys. The question on the table is, will this guy pull a Steven Seagal, right? Will he go to Moscow and become a citizen of Russia? I don't think so. But what happens if Florida goes blue? 
<laughs> you know? and, and what happens if the next attorney general of the United States believes in this thing called law and starts racking up tens of thousands of violations of the Hatch Act and insider trading and all these other things to the point where as a private citizen, they decide they are going to make an, an example of everyone in that administration. I think you'll see a lot of people who suddenly decide that maybe living in Turkey and, you know, United Arab Emirates and uh, Saudi Arabia or in Russia is maybe not be a bad thing. There's a lot of Americans already there. You'd be quite surprised. Most of the senior leadership of the alt-right have apartments in Russia. David Duke has an apartment in Russia. Maybe he'll bunk up with David Duke for a while, the guy he doesn't know. But look, my feeling is even if Trump loses the election, his base will remain a significant political force for years to come. Who do you think moves to lead the Trumpist wing of the Republican Party in a post-Trump future? Good question. And you know what? I am literally writing a book on this subject. And I refer to this remainders, these, these, these left behinds to a certain extent, uh, of Trump supporters as Titus, T-I-T-U-S. And that stands for the Trump insurgency in the United States. And I suspect that the leader of this underground resistance, which could become armed uh, or could just remain a nuisance in a degraded Republican Party, would be Donald Trump Jr. Wow, interesting. Well, look, I, I, I think that Kushner, I think Jr., Ivanka, Eric, I think uh, Brad Parscale, Bill Barr, and Roger Stone, I think the whole group of them end up facing significant, significant legal issues um, post the election when Biden is victorious. I, I truly do. And whether or not he's going to get a federal pardon, that's great. And what I talk about all the time is it has no relevance whatsoever on the state or local issues when it comes to the law enforcement. And I believe that once they also release the tax return, which they will post the election, then that's where I think you start to see the entire Trump organization and the real estate empire exposed and filing for Chapter 11 and Chapter 7. Say what you will about, about pardons. All I'm saying is this to the Trump family. Dan Amora, right, state penitentiary has room. That is not pardonable. Yeah, it's not. Now, I saw that Mark Hamill, because you kind of have a funny sense of humor, um, <laughs> like I try to have. I saw that Mark Hamill, you know, Mr. Luke Skywalker himself, answered your call for memes, alluding to Biden's destruction of Trump's so-called advertising Death Star. Talk to me for a moment on how you think that this was accomplished. Or do you simply auto-destruct? And will the real story be the stunning incompetence of Brad Parscale? Well, first off, Mr. Parscale, is he out of jail yet? I don't think, well, I think he, I don't think he's in jail. I think he's being inst held institutionalized at the moment. Yeah. Uh, first off, Brad Parscale made the, uh, a few months ago, the horrible um, equation that uh, the campaign finances that he had for, for media and social media was equivalent to Star Wars' Death Star. Did he not watch the last 10 minutes of the movie? <laughs> a plucky young kid from the planet Tatooine goes and shoots a hole that's no bigger than the size of a womp rat and causes the planet to blow up. That's what happens to the Death Star. And so I made a call for, I said, cue the memes for uh, Joe Biden as Luke Skywalker. And Mark Hamill got somebody to do it. 
Joe Biden in the last run going down to blow up the, the you know, shooting the port. Of the Death Star. It's hilarious. Look, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. I'm a big fan of Mark Hamill. Good for him. Good for him. But you recently tweeted a post from The Guardian that stated, From Hungary and Poland to Brazil, Philippines, and Turkey, world's dictators, nationalists, and far-right populists are keeping their fingers crossed for a second Trump term. Yeah. Can you go deeper into this topic for my listeners? Yeah. And what did these leaders find in the Trump administration? And what can they expect from Joe Biden instead? Yeah, you know, from the day that George Washington took office until the day Donald Trump was sworn in, there was one thing you could say about an American president. You can't buy him. You can't buy him. There's even with Nixon, there was no time that you could really put enough on a table to make that person compromise the values of the United States. For the first time, dictators across the world saw that Trump was exactly like them. This was a pay-to-play president. And that you could get favor, you know, in my last book, I have a chapter called Buy a Man, You Buy America. And that's Donald Trump. That's why the Saudis immediately loved him and, and brought him there and just put money and elegance and luxury around him in numbers we couldn't possibly imagine. And Donald Trump was right there with his hand on the orb, right? Realizing this is the money he could never get access to, is now there for his asking. Jared Kushner, as well, goes from a billion dollars in debt to having his building paid off, mysteriously through a Qatari-backed company from Canada. Wow, that's a coincidence. So. All of these things taking place around the world have emboldened leaders to understand the American commitment to democracy is over with Donald Trump. The American business ethos that you have to have human rights is over with Donald Trump. If Donald Trump remains in office, we will become no better than every third world potentate that I had the pleasure of dropping bombs on back in Libya and Syria and Iraq. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting that Americans' exceptionalism is the fact that we're going to be exceptional and that um, exceptional in the sense that we gave up everything we've ever stood for. Yeah, well, you know, last night I talked about something like this on when I was doing MSNBC's Chris Hayes, when I said that Donald Trump is like a donkey being led by a carrot. The only difference is that the carrot is is, is, you know, dollar bills. And with the dollar bills, you can own Donald Trump very easily. And it's, it's exemplified by all of these shit license deals that he would do. Slap your name on a stake. Why? Because they gave him a million dollars. Really? You're going to put your reputation and your name, right, on a stake and a hot dog and a vodka and, you know, any garbage product that you wanted to pimp out? All right. he needed to do was give Donald Trump a dollar. But I also believe that when Biden wins, there is going to be a slew of investigations um, into all of the stuff that you're referring to, the, the Kushner deals. I would like to see, on a personal level, where is the, where's the AG, where are the, where's the inspector general in looking into what happened to me as to going back to our very first topic that we talked about, which is the FBI 
knew that I was never in Prague. They kept the file open. They knew they had nothing. So instead, what did they do? And this is what my second book is going to chronicle from the first day to the last day and every document in between. Why they kept the file open, why Andrew Weissman felt he had the right when he was just the acting attorney general and it didn't even go to Sessions who had recused himself, but not from my matter, but just from the Russia collusion statements. Why is it that they're not investigating all of these animals in this scenario? Because there was no reason for them to turn around and to forward this to the Southern District of New York. Nobody to this day can give me that answer. And it makes absolutely no sense to me. I think a lot of the pain that you had to go through is because not because of any corrupt intent within the individuals. It's the, you know, when you're talking with dealing with dark stars like Donald Trump and the way that he says things under the table, okay, um, they couldn't get the rest of the crew who were really out there committing an enormous amount of crime, which we're going to find out next year, right? And that's what I believe as well. If I can offer you any consolation, the schadenfreude deliciousness of what is going to happen to the people who seemingly got away with it under Trump, under a new attorney general. And just imagine the attorney general Kamala Harris is going to help a point. Yeah, well, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be Glenn Kirshner, somebody who's a bulldog who will rip them to shreds, who believes in law and will say the last four years, I have to make a, an, I have to make a point on every person uh, who was involved. Maximum effort, maximum conviction. This is what they're all trying to avoid is prison. I mean, a lot worse than you have. It's going to be a lot more than 14 months. I got 36 months for, and that's what the book is all about in the inaccurate level of prosecution that took place on me, which occurred from start to finish, 48 hours with a take it or leave it. But I saw the other day the um, absurd Steve Bannon video where he was looking like the Wolfman and talking like a commandant in Stalinistic firing squad. His opening line was, you're going to be buried in an avalanche of corruption and how you've sold out the United States. Steve Bannon will no doubt be going to prison shortly for all of the money that he stole, but how does he make these videos with a straight face after he was just indicted for, him, for embezzlement himself? I mean, I think this is exactly what you're referring to. This is the guy who, who said he was he was going around the world to gather tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to create a right wing extremist gladiator school for political gladiators in northern Italy. At the time, the man is under indictment for theft of finances. I mean, who is going to believe anything out of Every time he talks, there should be not a Chiron under him. There should be a bubble over his head, presently under indictment for fraud. You know, I mean, this guy is bold, is the word that I would use, right? He doesn't double down. He doesn't triple down. I would not doubt any minute now, within the next two weeks, that he will suddenly start bridging directly to QAnon and saying that he is aware of QAnon and that Michael, you know, uh, 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 Hunter Biden is one of the people running the global pedophile ring and me stealing money isn't that bad. I mean, they're desperate on a level that this is comical. I mean, if I were really watching this as an intelligence collector, my reports would keep leading with the, the continuing insanity in the nation of blah, 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 
has now corrupted the highest levels of government. Because that's what it is. This is, as, as Cos, the great Cosmo Kramer said, this is kooky talk. All the things that are coming out of Steve Bannon. If Brad Parscale should never open his mouth again, right? Go become a manager of an Arby's and move on, you know, and, and prepare for your indictment. But they have, they have decided the alternate reality that exists in their head is defensible. And they're going to go down in flames to defend it. Well, it's defensible because they have the king of chaos leading them and telling them, like Rudy had told me, like his attorney was telling me, don't worry, you have friends in high places, stay the course, stay on message. And like the fool that I am, a, a fucking fool, I should have listened to my wife, my daughter, my children, telling me, get the hell away from him early on. I didn't. But when you have people saying, the president is on your side, he still loves you, I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, of course that that's what he's going to do. Because Steve Bannon is another motivated by money individual who believes that Trump will have another four years because what's the alternative in his mind to say, I'm going to prison, Trump is losing? No, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to go get what's mine. And then I'm going to go someplace else to live out the rest of my life with the billions. That's what he's thinking, because they're all greedy. Unlike what Judge William H. Pauley III said about me, I wasn't greedy for this. I made no money. I actually lost everything. It's the exact opposite, right? And at the end of the day, I truly hope that I'm successful in my bid, and I hope that Nothing make me happier than to give that money to the ACLU to keep pushing, you know, um, their agenda. And that those that are really the guilty parties here, because, look, I know what I did and I know my mistakes and I own them. But there are plenty of things that I pled guilty to that I don't own. I had no choice. It's a take it or leave it package deal. And that's what my book is. My next book is going to be about. And I, I really just want to say, Malcolm, I want to thank you for coming on the show and for giving the listeners such a an, me a tremendous insight into this whole backstory and the dangers that we're all facing under a you know another Trump four year. Let me say just this one last thing, and it, it goes to your personal plight because you obviously you're at the point now where people of honor have seen you reestablish your honor. And you're now defending it. But I do want to say one thing. Uh, I lost my wife last year. And if there's any one I'm thing that I tell, that. Oh, she was wonderful. And if there's any one thing that I tell people is that, that always listen to your wife. Always. Whatever you're going to do, whenever you're going to do it, listen to your wife. My wife was the smartest person I know. So right now, I, I'm instructing you to serve your wife coffee in bed every morning forever. Because that's what I, I did do. I, I, I do. I, I, I have a lot of um, amends to make um, to my wife, to my daughter, you know, to my son, and to this country. And thank you for helping me to do that. And God bless you. And I'm terribly sorry about your loss. Yeah, she's watching us all. And uh, now you do what's good for us. Restore your family honor. And I thank you for speaking out yourself. You, you be well. And I look forward to the next book. <laughs> Listening to Malcolm Nance for the past hour, I'm definitely on edge for the chaos to come, either from rioting, cyber terrorism, or MAGA uprising. 
Everything I know about Donald Trump tells me that he will refuse to leave the presidency should he lose. And with just five days to go, he is tipping his hand to what tools he has at his disposal to steal this election. All of them, though, require that the vote is close enough to be disputed. He needs to steal this election at its margins. But if we deny Trump that opening and vote in the historic numbers promised, he will be robbed of his opportunity by the will of the people. And thanks for listening. Also, please stay tuned for a special episode of Mea Culpa Investigates this coming Friday. We're going to examine how the Republican Party sold its soul to Donald Trump and finds itself on the brink of ruin just days before what promises to be a bloodbath for the party. Consider this an obituary for the party of Lincoln under President Donald Trump. We speak with former Tea Party Congressman Joe Walsh to understand how Tea Party Republicans became Trump Republicans. We also look at what comes next for the party after Trump loses the election. His 34% permanent base will remain a potent force in the party for years to come. Who will carry the flag? Find out on Friday. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustad. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please register to vote. I'll do my part on this podcast, but to truly make a difference, you must vote this man out of office. So if you're not registered, go do it now and come out and make sure that you vote on November 3rd. <laughs>